Well, good morning, City Bible Church. Like a big booming voice to begin. Feels more authoritative. Every time I listen to John MacArthur, I think what an advantage he has having a a great voice in this huge auditorium. If you ever listen to his sermons, I mean, it just sounds like the voice of God. Okay, now I'm toned down to Pastor Chris. Okay, I'm not Moses anymore. Um, but uh, it's good to see you guys. Whether you're here or on Zoom, uh, we want to say that uh, we love you. Um, we're glad that you're with us. We have great expectations for the year 2021, and you're going to be part of it. We're all going to be part of a great work of God this year. Amen? Okay, because if you're here at this church, um, you should expect that. You should demand that from your experience of church, and you should want that. Uh, from whatever church you're at, that the leadership of the church uh, believes. They believe in God and they believe in you. And uh, they believe in the direction that our church is headed in. And we all do here. And so you're in the right place if you are here joining us today. And God's going to do great things through us and for us. Uh, every first Sunday of the year, we take this uh, this Sunday to refocus us, to recalibrate us, to make sure we're moving in the Bible Church. We are unique amidst the common gospel um, from the mountaintops to, uh, you know, the oceans. This is what guides our church. This is the direction our church is headed. And this is what really defines us. And uh, before you get married to someone... You know, you want to know who they are, right? Before you're part of a church, you want to know who the church is. And so, uh, let's, um, let me pray for our time and then we'll, we'll go right into it. This morning, as we begin a new year, we are grounded in an ancient faith, Lord. And we pray that we will take the anchor of that ancient faith and throw it far into the future of the 21st century. That we hear that, uh, is the body of Christ that you call, that we have called City Bible Church. Uh, may we discover and rediscover the unique imprint you have given to us as a body of believers so that we may move in power and unity um, in a God-glorifying way and, uh, and to find life in that, to share that life with the world around us. So we pray you would bless this time and unite us together. In Jesus' name, amen. Is a place that uh, I just want to have friends. I just be, want to be around people that I, I can just do life with. And if I can just get that out of the church, I'll be happy. Other people would say that uh, church is a place that uh, I can just bring my kids to. And I just want my kids to be friends with other kids that will help them to get you know better grades or stay out of trouble. And that's why they can and being part of a church. Uh, I'm spiritual. I'm good. I'm just not religious. Seems to be the mantra of today's, uh, the spirituality of people today. One out of every three people that you pass on the street would describe themselves as I'm spiritual, I'm good, I'm just not what? Into organized religion, let alone church. And that a percentage is only growing. Uh, there was a, a, a little article that was written on New Year's Day about Jerry Seinfeld. It was an interview with Jerry Seinfeld, and he said, you know, the secret to life for him comes down to two things, transcendental meditation and working out. 
And he says those have been the two keys to his success. And that really describes, I think, the the kind of spiritual approach to life for people today. You know, I can take the kingdom of God to move forward, not backward. And the best type of movement you can have is not movement to uh, make a commitment to make your body better in this new year, to have better time management in this new year, to uh, be better at your hobby in this new year, to get a better in this new year, to be a better you in this the best type of movement is moving towards God's kingdom. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the Apostle Paul, uh, after he describes the greatest description of love, he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13, he says, Now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Paul held up faith, hope, and love. He said to the church at Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, he said he commended them for their work of faith, their labor of love, their steadfastness of hope. He said the Thessalonian church was a model to all the churches in Macedonia and Acacia. Paul commended the, the Colossians, and he said, it is because of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, your love for all of the saints, and your hope that is laid up for you in heaven. Faith, hope, and love. Are we moving towards that together as a church? That's what you can expect. Uh, if you're part of City Bible Church, we may not help you to, um, you know, in your area of your grooming, we may not help you in terms of, you know, you, you're part of this church, you get a better job, you get more money, you know, you become cooler or whatever your those goals are you have in your life for a better 2021. But if you are part of this church, it is absolutely our goal to see us move together in faith, hope, and love. So let's talk about faith. Let's talk about hope. Let's talk about love for a moment. The Bible defines faith essentially in three ways. It defines it as doctrinal belief. It defines it as being faithful to what God has given to you. And it defines faith as taking steps of faith. The Bible describes faith, first of all, as having the correct doctrine. The Apostle Jude said in Jude chapter 3, he said, this is the faith we have that has been delivered once to the saints, once and for all. The faith with the truth. And so when you're part of this church, we want to move towards a faith that is doctrinally sound based upon the word of God. But that's not, that's not it. That's not all of it. Faith is also defined as being faithful with what God has given to you, has entrusted to you in your life. What has God entrusted to you in your life for you to be faithful with? Um, is it for you to be faithful in a difficult situation? Life that he knows that you need to take a courageous step in sharing your faith with, inviting them to church, asking if you can pray for them, sharing a verse towards them. Is God asking us to be faithful with our children? What kind of example are we setting for them in the home as we disciple them? Uh, there's a group of five guys from our church that moved into, um, you know, the house that Lorraine and me and the kids were living in. And then we moved, as you guys know, this year. And, uh, 
you know, I was challenging those guys uh, about, I don't know, about a month ago. And I said, you guys, you got to be faithful with what God has entrusted into your hands. Each one of you guys are in a better living situation now than where you came from. And the Lord wants this house to be a house that's sanctified. And if you deviate from that, uh, you're abandoning the call that God has for your life to be faithful with what he's given to you here. The Bible defines faith as belief, as being faithful, and thirdly, taking steps of faith. We want you at this church to grow in your doctrinal um, uh, doctrinal um, awareness of the truth. We want you to be more faithful. And we see that as something to run from, but actually that's the goal of faith, is to be in a place where we are consistently not just believing the right things, not just being faithful with God has entrusted us with, but having a life where we say, I'm going before I know. I go before I know, and it's only in going will I then know. See, most of us want to know before we go. But actually, to take steps means you go before you know. You have an idea. You're not really sure how it works. I'm amazed at how much of our lives are called upon to live by faith. How much of our lives are actually required that we live by faith? How could you not live by faith? Uh, you know, recently, you know, in, in uh, someone in my uh, larger extended family, um, suddenly found out they had a health issue that's going to require um, them, you know, having surgery. Someone I know that's in my extended family, and I've been praying for this person, and I felt like, you know, how can you not have faith in God in these kinds of situations? How many of you have entertained at some point? No, I don't even have to ask how many of you. I know all of you. I know that all of you, including myself, during the coronavirus have at one point or another prayed in faith, Lord, just help me not to get this thing, right? Now, whether you social distance or not is a different issue. But I think every one of us at some point have prayed for us or our children or our spouses or, or whoever it is, God, just protect me. Uh, you've been required to live by faith. Uh, how many of us have struggled financially and had to come to God and say, God, help us, help my family, help me, because I'm struggling. I don't know if you'll provide. And we have to live by faith. One of the things we want to see at this church in faith is, and follow me on this, the older you get, the more mature you get in your faith. The older, the more mature. The greater your steps of faith. The older you get the more you're supposed to have a faith that is taking greater steps of faith, that is demonstrating a more dynamic faith, a more generous faith, a faith that moves to greater amounts of taking risks, responsible risks for the kingdom. And that's very important because you see that. You see that all through the Old and New Testament, do you not? You think of men like Moses, like Caleb, like Daniel in the Old Testament. I mean, these guys are out there, like Isaiah. They're in their 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, and God's doing these amazing amazing things through them. We here in the American church don't often see it that way. Sometimes we say, you know, that's for those younger folk. 
You know, we us older folk, you know, walk around. Hey, sonny boy, when I was a young whippersnapper like yourself, let me tell you how I used to do it. And now I'm in my 50s, and it's that's for you younger kids. No, that's exactly the opposite. See, what you see in the New Testament as well, is you see this guy like Paul and Peter, John. These guys are in their 60s, even 90s. They're, they're, they're in prison. They're getting beheaded, right? And they're exemplifying that the older you get, the more dynamic your faith becomes. You don't want to be at a church, you guys. You don't want to be at a church where if you're younger, you look at the older people, and the older people are exemplifying for you that the older you get, I say to you they're younger, I say, hey, you know what? Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best to exemplify for you the Christian faith, but number one, don't expect Jesus 24-7 from me as a pastor, okay? Because I'm going to let you down to, exempl- to not allow you as a younger person to consistently exemplify for me, as an older person, a more dynamic faith than I myself am willing to exemplify for you. I will do my best to not allow you to consistently demonstrate for me, as an older person, a more dynamic faith than I am willing to go to. Now, there might be times that you, as a younger person, you know, do a better job. I, I, I applaud that. I commend that. But not consistently. Okay? And so I think you you need to see that for faith. Hope. Hope is defined in two ways in the Bible. Uh, two primary ways. It's defined as perseverance during trial, temptation, testing. Perseverance. And it's defined as hope in the resurrection, in eternal life. That's how hope is primarily defined. It's not defined as something that's blind that you want and you hope you get one day. Perseverance in Romans chapter 5 that we, we go to uh, Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 1, he said that uh, we are to have hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul said in Acts chapter 23 that he was on trial because of his hope in the resurrection. Hope is defined as perseverance during difficulty and hope in the resurrection that we have through the resurrection in Jesus to eternal life. And I want to ask you about your hope. You know. Um, you are going to be called upon to persevere. No one emerges in the Christian faith unscathed. I, I heard it said uh, recently, someone said uh, online, I was listening to one of his sermons re- recently, he said he asked Christians to show him their scars. Show me your scars. Jesus had scars. Where are your scars? And what he was saying by that was, in the Christian faith, do not think that you're going to emerge unscarred. And there are many Christians that when they receive a blow, a wound from life, from the world, from the satanic kingdom, from the result of, of reaping their own flesh, the, the results of their own flesh, they run away, they give up God, they give up church, they say, oh, it hurts. And what Paul Washer was saying is, no, if a Christian has a lot of scars on them, because what scars show is the hope of perseverance. And that's what hope, true biblical hope is. Um, the Christian faith is not 
about being unscathed. It's not about not receiving wounds, not receiving pain in your journey. Much of the Christian faith, I would say the majority of the Christian faith, is not about being a Christian superstar or living comfortable Christian. It's about who perseveres to the end. I would rather have a quote-unquote normal Christian, not a superstar, not someone who's up here singing all these great songs, which that was a great song, by the way, Garen. Garen, that song he, he, he sang, I don't know if you know this, but he wrote that, that, that song on faith, hope, and love. He, he wouldn't say that about himself, but I thought that was a tremendous song. But I'd rather have, you know, Garen is multi-gifted multi and talented, so committed. I love this guy. He's He's a huge part of this church, along with others. But honestly, I would rather have just a normal Christian that perseveres to the end than a superstar Christian that rises to the top but doesn't make it to the end. Who is going to make it to the end? Perseverance is probably like, in my view, like 80% of the Christian faith. And the hope of the resurrection. Who holds on to their faith to the very end? Okay, If you hold on to the very end, you will do better than probably the majority of people who proclaim Christ because many of them don't make it. Hope and love. We are to love God. We are to love our neighbor as ourselves. We are to love the body of Christ. I mean, love, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, is the most important thing. Faith, hope, and love, but the, uh, the greatest of these is love. Um, you know, you think about love in your practical life, right? One of the things our family's been doing during the coronavirus has been watching Little House on the Prairie. I get, we didn't even know it. We started watching that, and apparently that's been this huge trend. You know, you can, which makes sense, right? They're living in this small area. It's kind of isolated from the world. And so we probably watched, like, 60 episodes, maybe more of that, since coronavirus has been going. And, um, you know, I, I, I like it, I watch it, but I can't stand the Olsen's fighting. I have to walk away when I see that. And then, um, you know, I start giving all this commentary about what they should have done differently. Why is Pa doing that? Why is Ma doing that? No, they shouldn't, a monster should And, um, we were talking about a recent episode this week, and there was fighting going on, arguing. And I just said to my family, you know, there's a proverb that says, it is better to live in poverty, but to have love, than to have eat the fatted calf and to live in strife. And what that proverb is saying is that no matter what your situation is, it's better to have love than to be eating the, you're going to see people who eat the fatted calf, but they're strife. And love is far more important. How many of us during the coronavirus have, have seen things taken away, pe people taken away from us? You know, friends who have moved away. You know, I, I've had friends who have moved away. And, uh, even lost some friendships. And we feel this part of us has been taken away. This kind of love that was there and it's not there, or at least physically there anymore. It's what he was saying was that I, well, not only, I'm not only the great I am before, during, and after, but I will live on with you. 
through other believers. And even though you may lose love with certain people, that the love of God lives on consistently through every other believer. And so even though I might lose a relationship here or there, as long as I have some believers in front of me, I have a constant love because as that Jesus is saying to me, I'm with you. I'm with you through Norm. I'm with you through Jessica. I'm with you through David. You know, I'm with you through Sheldon and etc. And we have this skewed view of love in our culture. We say love, it's a language. It, it, it's, it, you know, it's about giving gifts. If person likes gifts, it's about Speaking words of encouragement if they like encouragement. It's about spending time if they like to be spent time with. It's about romance if they if they like that, etc. Right? What's the other one? I'm missing one. It's a service. It's like service. And and so this psychological talk has invaded the church. Like, okay, well, how do people need to be loved in these different ways? How do I need to be loved in these different ways? And you know, there's some practical value to that practically. But that's not really how the Bible talks about love. When you take an honest look at how the New Testament talks about love, it's entirely different than those kinds of categories of love. Listen to this. If you're at City Bible Church, our goal is and God's goal is not to have you become more astute at learning how to love people according to their love language. It is to love in the following ways. Luke 14, to help you to love the poor. Matthew chapter 5, to help you to love and pray for those who persecute you. Matthew chapter 5 again, to help you love and try and reconcile with those who have something against you. John chapter 13, to help you to love others by seeing yourself as a slave not just a servant, but a slave. That's the word duolos. We translate it as servant, actually means slave, as a slave to other people. John chapter 14, to help you love God, how? By obeying his commandments. Second Corinthians chapter 8, to help you to love by sacrificing your money to help other believers in need. Galatians chapter 6, to help you to love by helping you to bear other believers' sinful burdens and helping them out of it. That is what the Bible defines as love. And so if you're here at City Bible Church, sometimes it's not easy. And we never make you the promise that the Christian faith is easy when it comes to love. Because those definitions, those six or seven or whatever, that's not an easy thing. You It requires God. Because you're not like that naturally, neither am I. But you know what? You know what? If God is living in us and through us, we will be that. And that will be extraordinary. See, sometimes you can find one individual who might portray some of those uh, characteristics and say, well, it's just the way they were raised. They're kind of like that, naturally. When you enter into an entire community of people, who love like that, there is no explanation for that other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we want to be a movement of faith, hope, and love. Second word, 
That's the word church. Second word we want to look at is the word Bible. The word Bible. We specifically put the word Bible in our name for a reason. The Bible is what we preach with and it is what we counsel with to equip you for the work of ministry. The Bible is what we teach and counsel with to equip you for the work of ministry. That's how we define the word Bible. The Bible has been throughout church history, especially uh, just going back to the 20th century. The Bible has been attacked. It has been called inaccurate by Judaism. It has been called inaccurate by Judaism, saying, yeah, forget the New Testament, it's only the Old Testament. It has been attacked by saying it is incomplete by the Islam, the Hindus, the Mormons, who would say, well, it's okay to have that Bible, but there's this other book, you know, the Quran. Uh, there's this other book, uh, you know, the Pearl of Great Price, and so forth. People say it's inaccurate, it's incomplete. It is attacked by saying it is, uh, people have misinterpreted the Bible. Secular humanists talk about the Bible and say it's just stories, it's just myths. And source critical scholarship would say, yeah, you know what, um, there's other ways of interpreting the Bible as a literary device, you know, in, in, uh, in, in different ways of German source critical scholarship. It's been attacked as inaccurate, incomplete, and it's been misinterpreted. And in the 21st century, you can add a fourth eye in there, is that it's been ignored. It's always been ignored, but I think especially in the 21st century, people are like, I feel like people look at the Bible, and they're not even, even people who disagree with it. A lot of people are just not even willing to put in the time and say, I'm going to study the Bible and then show you all the inaccuracies of it. I think people today just say, I'm just going to ignore it. It's not worth my time. I can find my spirituality in some other way other than the Bible. Listen to what the Word of God says about the Bible itself. The Word of God, God says through His Word that the Bible is, number one, inspired. It is inspired by God. Second Timothy, tra- Second Timothy tra- chapter 3, Paul said, the Word of God is God-breathed. God says that the word is inerrant. It is without error. David said in Psalm 19 that the word of God is perfect. It is sure. It is right. It is pure. It is clean. It is true. It is inspired. It is inerrant. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, it is inerrant. He said every iota, every dot, God will add to him the plagues described in this book and take away his name from tree of life. It is inerrant. Thirdly, it is investigative, the Word of God, which means that it is able to search who you are. The writer of Hebrews said it is instructional. Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, it is good for training us all in righteousness so that we may be complete, equipped for every good work. And fifth, it is sufficient. Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 1 that God has given us his promises so that we may grow in the divine nature of Jesus Christ and we will be equipped for all matters of life and godliness. This is what the Bible says about the Word of God. God's Word is God's voice in your life. It is God's voice in your life. In ancient times, 
God's voice came to his people through the prophets. It came through dreams. It came through visions. But now God's voice comes to us through God's word. What voice are you listening to in your life right now? We're all listening to different voices, right? You're hearing voices through YouTube. You're hearing voices through social media. You're hearing voices through Netflix. You're hearing voices through Disney+. Plus. You're hearing voices through your family and friends. The voice you hear most often is yourself. The, the number one word used in the English language is what? The word I. Right? Most of our thoughts, we're just thinking to ourselves. Or in my case, talking to myself. My family reminds me of that. I'm talking to myself in the shower. I'm talking. The Winchies would see me when we first met. Nathan would be like, who's that guy walking across the street talking to himself? I don't even realize I'm talking to myself, but that's how I process things. I talk out loud and I don't even realize I'm doing it, right? But we, we are listening to some voice. You need the voice of God in your life. Because um, you need wisdom. How many of you need God's voice to give you wisdom? Important decision you have to make. You need God's voice because you need his conviction in your life. We all need to repent of something. We are all involved in some kind of activity or thought or action that's robbing us of the life of God. We need to be convicted of that sin. We need God's voice to affirm the good things that we are doing, the ways we are being obedient, the ways we are living in the truth, and to affirm, yeah, that's right. I am doing it right. We need God's voice in our life to give us a vision of how things should be. To give us a vision of how relationships should work. I didn't realize this until I got way old. I mean, I literally did not even think about this until probably about a year or two ago in my entire life. I grew up in a home where, uh, you know, my mom was Christian and, uh, and, and, you know, she brought us to church and the church camp and stuff. Uh, my sisters professed faith, but, you know, I, it wasn't, I, I didn't see it as much of an influence on me. Uh, maybe that was me more than them, I don't know. Uh, my dad was not a Christian. He didn't become a Christian until he's 72 years old. Okay, that was about nine years before he died. And I didn't realize this until about a year or two ago, but how much, you know, when I would, meet and talk with people who actually grew up in a Christian household, who had a Christian dad. And now that I'm a father, and, and we, me and Lorraine try and be intentional as parents with our kids, you know, I, and I thought about this about a year ago. I go, you know what? I really missed out on a lot growing up, not having that strong Christian presence in the home. And you don't realize that growing up until you get older or until you become a parent and you start intentionally raising your, your kids in a Christian way. The Bible gives you a vision of how life should be. And that comes to us through the voice of God through his word. And if you don't have that, you don't have a vision for how you should be as a person, how you should relate to other people, if that's not taught in the home. You know, if you don't have that modeled for you, and but you can catch up. I caught up, right? And the only way I caught up was because God showed me a vision 
for how life should be through his word. At City Bible Church, we use the word Bible, and we express that to you in one of two ways. Through expository preaching, it's called expository preaching, all expository preaching is, is reading verse and explaining it. You can do expository preaching, either taking a passage and doing verse by verse, which is very popular, or you can do expository teaching through a topic. But as long as you are reading a verse and telling the context and giving the meaning, that's expository preaching. And secondly, we give you the Bible through biblical counseling. We make it. The city is where we make and become disciples of Jesus Christ. See, you want to be a move, you want to be a church that's a movement of faith, hope, and love. There's got to be something that's transcendently spiritual about the church that you're a part of. And there's nothing more transcendent than faith in God, love for God and other people, and hope in eternal life. There's got to be a sense of moving towards the transcendent of faith, hope, and love. And then you have to ground that experience, that transcendent experience, in the Bible. Because if you just have faith, hope, and love, but it's not based on the solid rock of the Bible, then that can go any number of ways and be defined in any number of ways. But where do you live out, as a church, a movement of faith, hope, and love grounded on the Bible? You do it in the city, which is the most strategic place, and you make disciples of Jesus Christ. As you make disciples, you become a disciple of Jesus Christ. You know it well. Matthew chapter 28, Jesus commissions the disciples, and he says, go out. You know, all authority has been given to me, right, as Jesus. Go out to all the world, to all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to just hear. No, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded to you. And lo, I will be with you to the end of the age. Matthew chapter 28. Making and growing as a disciple. What does that mean? What does it mean to make disciples? What does it mean to grow? We define it very simply. And I think we, Paul had, uh, outside of Jesus, well, Jesus had the same definition actually as well. Jesus and Paul had the best definition of growing and becoming a disciple. And it's simply this. Who are you following? And who are you asking to follow you? Who are you following? And who are you asking to follow you? That's it. That's what the whole process of making disciples boils down to. Isn't it? Isn't that what Jesus did? Isn't, wasn't that his first calling? Was what? Was it believe in my teachings? No, it was follow me. Follow me and then believe in my teaching. Paul said the same thing. He said to the Corinthian church, imitate me, follow me as I follow Christ. 1 Corinthians 11. He said to the church at Thessalonica, imitate the example I've given to you. He said to the church at Philippi, uh, you know, keep your eye on the example I've set for you and the example that others are following and imitate their example. Discipleship is simply about asking, who are you following and who are you asking to follow you? We're all setting that example. Every one of us is a follower. The only question is, who are we following? Um, And there's nothing wrong, by the way, in fact, you should want, you should want me to come to you and say, follow me as I follow Christ. Not follow Chris as Chris is. Follow Chris only in the areas 
that you see him following Christ. You need that. You should want that. You know why? It's because everyone else out there is telling you to follow them. Okay? There is no neutral ground here, you guys. The world is telling you to follow them. Everything you're watching on the internet is sending you a message that you should follow, buy what they're selling, believe what they're teaching. We're all followers. We're all following someone or something. And so, what is wrong with the church coming to you and saying, I want you to follow me as I follow Christ. I want you to follow the Lord as he leads you. You're not a leader, you're a follower. That's the big lie that the church puts in us. Hey, I'm an independent man. I've got it. You know, I, I, I can do it on my own. I, I just, I, I want to be this great. No, we're all followers. Okay? There is one leader. And we all know who he is. And so the only question is who you're going to follow. We are setting examples, positive and negative, in terms of who we follow. You set a positive example for others to follow you. When you simply read your Bible. You know, people see that. That's a silent example. That's a positive example. You set an example for others. When you're generous to the poor, especially other poor believers, that's a that's an example that you set for others to follow. When some of these guys that are thinking about like uh, like Matt F, um, thinking about giving his life to become a long-term missionary in Japan, you know, in the future, that's an example. He's setting an example for us to follow. There's um. I had a conversation this week, uh, or actually last week, with um, with Mike and our old friend Dave. I met Mike through my friend Dave like 20 years ago, or more, actually, maybe almost 25 years ago. And our friend Dave, who's a pastor, he just moved to Spain. His wife is from Spain, and so he just moved to Spain like a week or two ago. To start a new life there. He's going to be a pastor in, in a southern area of Spain. And so me and Mike got on the phone with Dave uh, recently. And we were talking. And we just closed our time in prayer. And I didn't know this. But when you know Mike and I prayed for Dave. And then Dave prayed. And Dave, one of the things that Dave prayed in his prayer. Is he said. My, Mike and Dave used to live together. When they were in seminary. And. My, uh, Dave prayed, he goes, Lord, thank you. I remember the day that I met Mike when we moved into our apartment when we were students in seminary. And Mike said, this is Dave Frank, Mike said, hey guys, our apartment is going to be a holy place unto the Lord. That's one of the first things that Mike said to Dave, and that impacted Dave. You know, it's like 25 years ago. And Mike set that example for the other guys to follow. You never know what your example can lead to when you proactively say, hey, you know what, guys? This is what this is going to be about. This is going to be about a holy place where we live. And that impacted Dave 25 years later. I tell the guys who moved into my house, I go, this is what it should look like, you guys. A lot of you guys, you did, you, you may or may not have grown up in a Christian home, but you guys, you need to step up. And say, our house is going to be sanctified unto the Lord. And some of you need, you need to set that example to follow. 
Um, so we can set a negative example. You know, Lorraine and I, um, there are times when we have arguments and we, we say we're not going to argue in front of the kids. And then you end up arguing in front of the kids, right? And, uh, and we, we see that as a negative example because we don't want to exemplify anger in our home. Sometimes we argue and that's just, you know, that's how it goes. But we don't want our house to be known as an angry place. And so that's a negative example at times, but it's a positive example because we try and do a good job of saying we're going to make up, we're going to ask for forgiveness in front of the church. God's going to bless you. God's going to bless us. He's, I, I ardently believe he's going to grow our church, he'll strengthen us, and he'll do great things for us. And so let's be that. God bless you guys. Let's uh, worship the Lord together. Um, as we um, want to close, there's a couple action points that we want to share uh, real quick uh, before we go into a time of communion. Uh, I'll be sharing one, and then Garen and I will go back and forth. Uh, you may be thinking, uh, what can I do? Uh, what, uh, now that we heard uh, kind of the distinctives of City Bible Church, what can I do as a disciple of Christ? The first thing we could do is, is prayer. Um, as you see, some of us, we gather here at 9.30 pre-service. Um, so we encourage you guys, when you see some chairs, um, take initiative to come in and pray uh, at that time, how important it is before things happen in the physical, it happens in the spiritual. So we encourage you guys to, to pray. Uh, the next thing that um, we really want to encourage people to be focused on and, and keep as a um, priority uh, going forward is just um, worship services. And so we want to encourage everybody to continue to uh, join us. And, you know, we as, as leadership, as the elders, deacons, we feel like we've uh, done a good job to kind of uh, allow everybody to worship and participate. So whether you feel comfortable coming in person, please continue to do so. And if you don't feel comfortable, if you're not able to, uh, we encourage you, you know, to join on the Zoom service or Facebook Live. And so we'll continue to offer both of those going forward for the foreseeable future so that everybody, uh, no matter where your comfort level is, health level is, um, that you're able to worship with us together. Cool. Uh, the third point is, is serving. Uh, how important is, uh, to, for us to be douloses, to be servants. And we, do, we learn by doing. Uh, I encourage you guys to anticipate uh, for needs uh, to, to be able to fulfill that. Um, and sometimes maybe we think, well, um, I'm just going to volunteer type of thing. No, if you really think of it, you are servants of the Lord. You're not here just to sit and, in, and, and to be sitting in the crowd. You're here to be involved. We are a body. Yes, there are times where this body part may be hurting, but we need you to be involved in one way or the other. So I encourage you guys. And as you and, you and I both know, when we're in the position to serve, Iron kind of sharpens yourself. You know, you just start to feel strength like, oh, I don't feel like, but I feel great now after serving. So I encourage you guys, please be involved in serving.
Next is um, small groups. And so again, uh, as Norm announced earlier, we're going to be uh, kicking off small groups for this new year, uh, this upcoming week. And so again, similar to the services, you know, we know that everybody's kind of at a different spot, uh, you know, um, in regards to the pandemic and uh, feeling comfortable coming out, not feeling comfortable or not able to, you know, because of work or family, things like that. And so again, uh, Long Beach and Westminster on Thursdays and Fridays, those are in person, uh, as well as Sundays here at downtown LA are in person, social distance and things like that. And then um, we have Saturday mornings that are on Zoom. And so hopefully, you know, wherever you live, uh, geographically, wherever, um, you know, yeah, you're, if you're able to come out in person or not, there's a small group for you. And so um, if you have any questions about small groups, you can come talk to myself. Uh, again, you know, there's also the youth group, Boba T, as well as um, uh, um, the Kids Seekers Bible Study that's starting up. And um, we're kind of in talks about another kind of uh, kids program uh, to offer for them. And then um, we are looking to have Fellowship of the Rings, our um, married couples, uh, small group kind of be- meeting consistently throughout this upcoming year. So again, uh, yeah, I don't know what, what's the plan for 20s, 30s or something like that. But again, there's a small group for everyone. So we really want everybody to be plugged in in some way, shape or form. Uh, Sunday services. The fellowship, the community can only go so deep. And so we really encourage you to take that extra step by joining a small group to be in um, deeper fellowship and community with everyone. That's good. And then finally is um, tithes and, and offerings. Um, Jesus, when he says, but lay up or store up yourselves treasures in heaven. And you start to think, how can you do that? What does, how does that look like? As you know, this past year, we, we've started the Galatians 6 Fund. And a lot of um, dialogue that you don't see, I mean, I've had phone calls of people even during the, the Christmas break of saying, hey, man, I'm a little short on my uh, phone bill. I, could see, I feel a little embarrassed to ask. I'm like, don't be embarrassed. That's what it's for. So I uh, please understand that you giving, uh, not just through tithes and offerings, but also through the Galatians funds that are as above and beyond your tithes and offerings, it is truly making a difference. So I just want to say thank you for those that have been giving regularly all throughout the entire year, not missing a week or bi-week uh, basis. So I want to say thank you. For those that have not been giving on a regular basis, I encourage you, this is a good Christian habit to glorify God that it is being used to expand His kingdom. So Faithfully, sacrificially, and generously is what we're called to do. Uh, at this time, we'd like to approach the communion table as we uh, close out today's service. Um, and I'm just going to pray for the elements uh, as we um, partake of it. So if you could join me in prayer. Father, thank you so much, Lord, for reminding us of, of your amazing love that while we were yet sinners, your Son died for us. As we stop life, before we go back to school, before we go back to the grind, before we go back to our daily stresses and responsibilities, allow us to pause in life and to remember, as you said, to the disciples and ultimately extend it to us as disciples. Allow us, Father,